Welcome to a brand new episode of the Jam Pack Report today for February the 4th of 2020. And let me tell you, ladies and gents, if you're looking for some breaking gaming news coverage, this is the place to go because Dan Hauser, the co-founder of Rockstar, is leaving the company in March. This is a brand new story that is hot off the presses just in time for today's show. But the other subjects we're talking about today include PlayStation 5, its price, its website. We've got tons to break down in regards to that. GeForce Now is going live to compete directly with Google Stadia on top of that. Remember Scalebound, that game that was supposed to come out on the Xbox One that eventually just got pushed out? That could actually be happening, uh, but it all depends on Microsoft. And finally, if you want a refund and you're playing Warcraft 3 Reforged, I could be able to hook you up with that. And we'll talk about all these things on today's show. But without further ado, let's go ahead and dive into it. First off, Rockstar co-founder Dan Hauser is leaving the company. Dan Hauser, who along with his brother Sam founded Rockstar and has been one of the most important figures in video games over the last 20 years, will be leaving the company next month. Having been on break since 2019, news of his departure, his last day will be March 11th, was made official today. Publisher Take-Two issued a short statement as part of an SEC filing which read, and I quote, We are extremely grateful for his contributions. Rockstar Games has built some of the most critically acclaimed and commercially successful game worlds, a global community of passionate fans, and an incredibly talented team, which remains focused on current and future projects. Hauser's last role with the company was Vice President Creative at Rockstar. His contributions to some of the biggest video games of the modern era have been immense, serving as lead writer on everything from Grand Theft Auto V to the Red Dead Redemption games. Some very significant titles to have your credentials signed on as a part of especially something as massive as a lead writer. Now, right off the bat, everybody begins to hypothesize why. Personally, this dude has enough money right now to retire and never look back, so that could very well be what he's doing. But there could be more to this story as well, because over the past few months, these stories have begun to circulate that... Take-Two is wanting Rockstar to kind of up the ante a bit. They're saying, hey, what you've got here with Red Dead Redemption 2, great. What you've got here with Grand Theft Auto 5, phenomenal. We love what you're doing. Now do it faster. Now pump out more games because we want more money. That tends to be the case whenever you have a tried and true setup that simply works. People want more of it. People want it to be more fruitful, even though it is doing very, very well. And so that could be something that is pushing Mr. Dan Hauser out of his role and into retirement a little bit prematurely. In addition to that, he could be seeing internal struggles because the next games are certainly coming out. And he's made comments recently such as it would be very difficult to release a new Grand Theft Auto in the setup that we have with the current console generation and with the current gaming space. So all of these are things that many people are beginning to think about uh, whenever they hear the news about co-founder Dan Hauser leaving the company. Now, again, Again, I want to reiterate, he is not officially retiring. He's not going to leave the gaming industry as of right now. We just know that he's leaving Rockstar. But this is all coming out of my mouth at 5.56 p.m. on the 4th of February. So we could be seeing more over the next few days as industry insiders and journalists begin to do their work. But it is very interesting to see that Rockstar's co-founder is dumping the company after a very, very long time. In fact, over the last 20 years. Uh, but... Man, what a legacy to leave behind. The man has made one of the most successful companies in the gaming industry. And for good reason. Those are some pretty good games. Without a doubt. But moving on. PlayStation 5 is, quote, a balancing act and may be influenced by the Xbox Series X price. So who will go first? 
Sony has not fully decided on a price for the PlayStation 5 yet. It seems this is in part due to wanting to see how its competition, the Xbox Series X, is priced as well as a number of other monetary factors. Sony had its Q3 earnings call this week, excuse me, during which it was announced that the PlayStation 4 had just had its lowest Christmas sales period. In total, 6.1 million units were sold during Christmas 2019, compared to 8.1 million units sold in Christmas 2018. Chief Financial Officer Hiroki Totoki, I'm not making that up, I'm probably mispronouncing it though, stated he intends to ensure a smooth transition for Sony from the PS4 to the PS5, but he was questioned on how he will do this and asked which cost Sony can control. And the answer is complicated when it comes to how Sony will price the PlayStation 5. Totoki said, quote, First, we must absolutely control the labor cost, the personnel cost. It must be controlled, and it leads to what should be recognized as a cost. We will definitely control that. In the initial ramp-up, how much can we prepare? Initially, we will work on the production and the sales, and we will have to prepare the right volume as we launch this. What is not very clear or visible, it's because we are competing in the space. So it's very difficult to discuss anything about the price at this point of time. And depending upon the price level, we may have to determine the promotion that we are going to deploy and how much cost we are prepared to pay. So it's a question of balance. And because it's a balancing act, it's very difficult to say anything concrete at this point of time. But when I said a smooth transition, we mean that we will definitely choose the optimal approach and that we would try to have the best balance so that we will be profitable in life during the life of this product, end quote. Totoki notes that given the PlayStation 5 is competing with the Xbox Series X, which also has yet to be given a price, it is very difficult to discuss anything in relation to price without tipping the company's hand. Whether this means Sony will wait until Xbox announces price first or the company ultimately decides to announce a price first is unclear, but for now, the approach suggests Sony is willing to wait on this announcement. However, Totoki's statements also imply that the pricing, which is apparently not set in stone, will also factor into the level of promotion needed to sell the PlayStation 5. This is a pretty big deal, and it's something that I don't think people do out in the open too much. I'm sure that this is something that's done behind closed doors, but I don't believe that it's very uh, customary to say, well, how much is this piece of hardware that we've just spent years researching and developing worth? How much is theirs? That's not something that really happens. Now, of course, IGN has the poll. What are you willing to pay for a next-gen console? Personally, I'm going for the four to 500 range, and it seems like that's what everybody else is going with that has voted out of the roughly 1,200 that have participated on the IGN website. Now, will it be higher? Will it be lower? I think that's the sweet spot. You could inch it up and make it five to $600. I think that is something that is reasonable depending on the hardware that we are getting. But right now, the expectation is for it to be right around $400, probably closer to 500 if I did have to gauge the interest of the community overall. Now, of course, the sales were down because we are inching towards the end of the console generation, and we are ultimately less than 12 months away, really just about 11 months away, maybe even 10, uh, from the actual release of this new hardware. We need a price. We need details. We need to know what this thing looks like, which brings me to my next point. The PlayStation 5 page has been added to the official PlayStation website, and it asks users to sign up for more info as it does launch. Here is a potentially interesting little story. 
Sony has added a PlayStation 5 page to its official PlayStation website, PlayStation.com. The page itself does not have much meat to it, but it does feature the previously revealed PS5 logo alongside text that reads, quote, PlayStation 5 is coming, launches holiday 2020. It continues, quote, we've begun to share some of the incredible features you can expect from PlayStation 5, but we are not quite fully ready to unveil the next generation of PlayStation. Sign up below to be among the first to receive updates as we announce them, including news on the PS5 release date, PlayStation 5 price and the upcoming roster of PS5 launch games. Based on data that we've pulled from the site, this page was published or at least heavily modified earlier today on February 4th. Now, we are not saying that this is anything to do immediately with anything to get excited about, but given all the February reveal event rumors and the recent PS5 trademarks, it is another small detail that suggests Sony is gearing up for something. The page says Sony is not quote quite ready to fully reveal the next gen system, but that could mean anything at this point. The bottom line is the PS5 news is obviously coming. It's just a question of how and when. This changes things a bit. Now, last week we talked more about the fact that the February PlayStation reveal that was supposedly going to be held on the 5th, I believe is what the hypothesis was, is obviously not happening. So when are we going to be hearing more info about the console? It's time. We're inching very close to the release date itself. Uh, overall, I think that a February announcement, a February event very well could be feasible. And I say this because if they're doing something in a physical kind of format, if you are inviting press to an event, uh, then you have to give roughly about a week and a half to two weeks notice for everybody to get everything uh, ready. You know, you have to buy plane tickets. You have to get the event organized. You have to make sure that the journalists have everything they need to cover the event itself. It's a very complex process. Now, the question is, will they go with that or will it be somewhat of a state of play where you do have a big blowout unveiling the big piece of hardware, whatever that piece of hardware might be, in this case, the PlayStation 5. Uh, that's also possible, although that would be a far departure from what many would expect with the traditional kind of console reveal. But I digress, it is entirely possible. We'll just have to wait and see what happens. Uh, but if you do want to check out the page, again, it's live right now on PlayStation.com. And you can sign up for more info as soon as it's available. Or better yet, you can just click subscribe on the podcast feed. Boom, there you are, me talking about it in your feed on the night it happens easy. Uh, however, Sony's PlayStation business is slowing faster than expected, but it doesn't mean Sony is in trouble. Now, this story kind of builds off of what we've been talking about for the past few weeks, uh, but I still want to emphasize it once more. Back in 2018, Sony made it clear that its games department will be slowing down as it prepared for the next-gen PlayStation. Now, it's released its quarterly results, which go beyond a slowing down to illustrate a much more significant drop in revenue for the business. The figures, which account for the third quarter of the fiscal year 2019, October 1st to December 31st, indicate that sales were significantly down by 20% year-on-year due to a decrease in PS4 hardware and third-party software sales. Operating income was also down with a 19.6 billion yen, roughly $180 million decrease in profits. As such, the company has adjusted its financial forecast, dropping the outlook for sales by 50 billion yen, $459 million, or 3%, and the outlook for operating income by 5 billion yen, or $46 million. Obviously, these are not ideal figures for Sony, but they are not unusual in the face of transition, nor do they suggest Sony is losing money. It's just making less than it was during the same period that previous year, and again, it's less already than they already experienced or expected. And so, this is interesting because it shows that gamers, I believe, 
if I'm interpreting this correctly, are ready for a next generation. Because in my mind, I approach things from the consumer perspective and I see the sales slowing down. I see the revenue beginning to drop. And I understand that gamers are saying, hey, this is coming out now. I could get that. Or alternatively, I could wait six months to eight months and I could get it there. You weigh your options and you see where you're going to get the most longevity, the most bang for your buck, and it is going to be on the next generation. So it makes perfect sense uh, that the PlayStation business is beginning to slow down. Of course, it is going to ramp up this holiday season in a pretty big way. And then, of course, next year going to be even bigger as the console does hit its stride and as potential sales begin to come down the line, that's when things are really going to take full effect. But PlayStation slowing down much faster than expected and... The question is, everybody's wondering, what's going on with PlayStation VR? It could be doing worse than you'd expect. PlayStation is set to close Manchester VR Studio. PlayStation will close its Manchester Game Studio. The firm confirmed to GI.biz that it intends to, quote, close it as part of our efforts to improve efficiency and operational effectiveness. We understand the entire studio has been made redundant. Sony's Manchester team was formed to create VR games back in 2015. The firm had been working, excuse me, the firm had been working on an unannounced VR project. It is the third UK studio PlayStation has closed over the course of this generation, with Guerrilla Cambridge closing in 2017 and Evolution in 2016. Both studios had also worked on PSVR projects before being closed. The platform holder still operates two first-party development studios in the UK, namely Dreams developer Media Molecule and Blood and Truth creators London Studio. This is interesting, uh, primarily because it's a VR-specific studio, and either the game they were working on wasn't going well, or the shift towards VR didn't quite go in Sony's direction. Maybe they expected more uh, from PlayStation VR. Now, it's worth noting that PSVR is still performing very well in the grand scheme of things. It is surpassing a lot of people's expectations, and I think it has solidified itself as something that is, at the very least, going to exist for the next generation. Not necessarily thrive, but it is going to be there, and it's going to be holding its own. And people are still pumping out games and software for it. But I think internally, uh, PlayStation might be beginning to shift away from VR as a focus. And of course, keeping this studio's lights on, keeping these people uh, in the fold probably was a bit more costly than the final game would have been worth, especially considering just how few people actually play PlayStation VR games. Again, very large number in proportion to VR as a whole, but as compared to PlayStation, just not really there. And I would love to see figures as to how many PlayStation VR owners regularly use it. How many people actually plug it in and play games with it? Because it can be very cumbersome, uh, from what I understand, to actually get it out, plug it up, whenever you could just play games on your 4K TV or whatever you might have. So with that being said, interesting to see the studio closing down. Of course, anybody affected, hoping the best for them. Uh, anybody working on VR now has plenty of potential uh, to find some employment in that specific field, if I did have to guess, because there are so many VR experiences and so many teams wanting to get in on the world of VR. But let's talk about game streaming, because GeForce Now has gone live for all users today. NVIDIA's cloud gaming system has been a long time coming. GeForce Now has arrived after, after seven years, excuse me, of tweaking its delivery systems and gathering beta feedback. Let's back up just a minute. Seven years. 
NVIDIA has finally unveiled the consumer version of its game streaming ecosystem. GeForce Now streams games of all sizes to PC, Mac, Android, and the NVIDIA Shield, and it works with players' existing libraries on Steam, the Epic Games Store, and all other digital platforms. Games are capped at 1080p 60fps. In its final form, GeForce Now is a subscription service with a free and paid tier. The free option allows folks to connect to NVIDIA servers and play for one hour at a time, and after one hour, these players will need to reconnect and potentially wait for a spot to open up on the servers. In the paid tier, players will be pushed to the front of the line when logging on, they'll stay online for up to six hours, and they'll have exclusive access to NVIDIA's RTX platform. At launch, the upgraded option is called a Founders Membership, and it costs five bucks a month for the year, with three free months to kick things off. NVIDIA is clear that the $5 per month rate is a discount on the full subscription price, but it has not said what the GeForce Now Premium tier will cost per sale. It will be higher than that, an NVIDIA spokesperson told Engadget at CES in January. We have not decided what number it's going to be yet, but this is the kind of next level for GeForce Now. So this, we are going to be focused on for the next probably three to six months, and then we'll worry about what comes after that. One of NVIDIA's big promises with GeForce Now is that players will actually own the games they buy rather than paying for access to a library that disappears if they end their subscription. If a player leaves the service for good, all the games they purchased will still be accessible through Steam, the Epic Games Store, or other existing users. DRM free, baby. This is in contrast to Google Stadia, which hosts players' games entirely in the cloud, and with Stadia, players have to purchase and repurchase every game they want to play via Google Storefront, and this library is not downloadable. If you lose access to Stadia, you lose these games. Microsoft xCloud employs a similar system, although the service is still in preview. I think our strategy of the games is quite different in NVIDIA representative Seb. It's connecting to your existing accounts in the cloud, so PC games in the cloud. We are not creating a new game store where you have to rebuy your content and it's locked to our platform. This is your existing PC games on your Steam that you already own. So, if you have a large Steam account, this seems like a natural choice for you, really. GeForce Now is supported in 30 countries, with 9 data centers in North America and 6 in Western Europe, which NVIDIA says are all capable of delivering 20 millisecond latency. In Korea, Japan, Russia, and other locations, NVIDIA has partnered with telecommunications companies to deliver a claimed latency of 10 milliseconds to these players. Even in the paid tier, NVIDIA limits gaming sessions to 6 hours, and this feature serves a few purposes. For one, it ensures that the people connected to the cloud are actually using it to play games. We found 99% of people aren't playing longer than that, a spokesperson said. One of the things that we try to control is non-gaming use, like people mining and things like that that really aren't gaming, and we found that at that point, at four hours, most people need a bio break or something. It's not really interrupting their gameplay. NVIDIA developers expect free-tier players will have to wait longer during primetime gaming hours, like at 8 or 9 o'clock at night, though they hope even though it won't be a huge delay. However, if the wait time pushes more players to upgrade to the paid tier, all the better for NVIDIA and the price overall. And of course, the service overall as well. But of course, more than 300,000 people have tested GeForce over the years, and these existing accounts will automatically be transitioned to the free tier, with the option to upgrade at the discounted rate. Google Now? I keep saying Google and G these services, man. GeForce Now offers hundreds of games for more than 50 publishers with a lineup of more than 30 free-to-play titles, yes, including Fortnite. And so right now, would you get this?
That's what I would love you to tell me in the comments down below. For me, this is much more appealing right now than Google Stadia because ultimately what this is doing is just streaming your home setup to a mobile device as compared to Google Stadia, which is streaming games being played on a cloud server to your device without your home console or your home device connected. This essentially replicates what you've already got going on and just puts it on your screen. So that means you can keep the games you buy on Steam, the Epic Game Store, wherever you might be getting them from, and ultimately get more bang for your buck in the long run. Also, Founders Edition at five bucks a month, that's pretty good. Now, personally, I'm a little bit hesitant to say that I would ever go for the paid option because for me, the ability to play on a platform on the go seems to be more catering towards those uh, that are like myself, where I have an hour for lunch and I want to play some Destiny 2 or a couple of rounds of Fortnite or whatever it might be. That ability is very valuable. And so I think this free tier could get some use. Uh, but the question is, how many of these services can exist at one time? You have xCloud, you have Stadia, you have PlayStation Now, and now we have GeForce Now. And I'm sure more already exist, if not, are on the way. And that's where I really have the question for you guys. How many of these can actually survive? Because personally, I think there's going to be maybe two. And right now, xCloud is in the lead just because of the name recognition. And so that second slot is kind of up for grabs, in my opinion. But we'll see what happens here again. Seven years in the pipeline. Now, GeForce Now has finally arrived if you wanted to dive in and give it a look. Now, let's talk about Scalebound because some news came out that seems to be a little bit interesting. Platinum Games would love to finish Scalebound with Microsoft's permission. Platinum Games says it would love to finish making its canceled action RPG Scalebound one day, but would need Microsoft's permission to do so. Earlier this year, Platinum announced it was expecting to have a big 2020, partly due to the studio making a move towards self-publishing. Producer Atsushi Inaba spoke to Eurogamer.pt recently about this and was asked if being able to self-publish could mean Scalebound would one day be finished. The quotes below are translated by Google. Again, it's a good question, but this was an intellectual property that belongs 100% to Microsoft in Abbasab. Whatever happens with this project, we can't really do anything with it unless Microsoft leaves us. But it's a game that we fall in love with and love. If the opportunity arises, it's something we would love to return to. Scalebound was in development for Xbox One and PC at Platinum Games from 2013, with Microsoft as its publisher until it was canceled in 2017. Side note, I remember the day it was canceled because I was sitting in a Ford dealership getting my oil changed and I saw it pop up and I kind of freaked out a little bit. Uh, but it was to be an action RPG that most notably involved commanding a huge dragon in battle. The future of Platinum seems shaky after the cancellation, but the studio has since gone from strength to strength. It's releasing its hits Near Automata and Astral Chain and it is now bringing Vanquish and Bayonetta double pack to modern consoles and also launched a wonderful Kickstarter to Wonderful 101 Remaster. Uh, but of course, there's also Bayonetta 3 in development along with Babylon's Fall, so plenty of stuff happening over at Platinum Games. People are obsessed with Scalebound. It is a game that took the E3 of 2015 or 16 by storm, one of the two, but everybody was excited about this Xbox-specific kind of IP. And then it just kind of faded away, and then Platinum Games ended up canning it, uh, which again was much to the chagrin of many fans. And so would I like to see what it actually was going to be? Sure, why not? Uh, but in the same way that many games get canceled and people want them back, there was a specific time and a specific market where I think Scalebound would have had more value. And right now, as it stands, I don't know that the 
atmosphere in the gaming community is necessarily the best for Scalebound to make a comeback. Maybe in the future, uh, but of course, Platinum Games is at their height. They're making so many good products. Maybe it would be a good addition to the lineup. I suppose we'll have to wait and see what happens, but if I had to guess, Microsoft probably uh, not going to be really using that that much. I really don't think Scalebound is going to be going anywhere. However, to round out today's show, if you are a player of Warcraft 3 Reforged and you don't like the game, players can now get an instant refund on Blizzard's widely disliked game. Blizzard is now offering an automatic refund for players who feel disappointed in the recently released Warcraft 3 Reforged. While Blizzard has yet to make an official statement on the matter, the company is currently offering instant refunds for the remastered edition of Warcraft 3 Reign of Chaos through Battle.net. According to fans on the official subreddit, Blizzard support is granting players a refund regardless of how much time they spent in the game. One former user, ChronicLTD, played Warcraft 3 Reforged for more than five hours and still got a refund without any problem. Other users have similarly said that refunds through the automated form are instant. Warcraft 3 Reforged launched PC last week and has not been well received by fans. The game's main subreddit and Blizzard's own forums are full of negative threads and complaints from players who feel cheated, in part because of the quality of the finished game compared to what Blizzard showed off at the remaster's reveal at BlizzCon 2018. While the final build has sharper art and updated models compared to the original, they don't stack up to the 2018 reveal. In addition, custom campaigns created for the original are not compatible with Reforged and players are unable to create their own. The remaster also removed after long-standing features such as clan support and competitive play. The game has since become the lowest user-rated game on Metacritic ever with a 0.5 review score, and critics have been somewhat kinder by comparison. It critic Metacritic score... What? It's... You need to add an S here, bud. It's critic Metacritic score remains at 61 as of press time, but there is at least one fan in our midst they say at VG247. Of course, that being Nick Rubin, who says, I'm still having a blast, and you can read his full take over on the site itself. Now, I'm not a Warcraft guy, and I'm not a Reign of Chaos guy either, but I do like to watch some Warcraft 3 every now and again, and I understand that the player community is incredibly passionate about this game, even in 2020, and I'm talking about the OG. Now, with Warcraft Classic that launched last year, that was a really good game, and it pretty much brought back exactly what people were expecting, and it did fulfill on a lot of its promises, but apparently 3 did not do that, uh, and a lot of people are wanting their cash back. So it seems like, although you might have played the game for 10, 12, 24 hours, whatever it might be, uh, you can get your money back if you did want it back, and then you can wait and see if they do improve the game over the coming months and make it compatible with the older custom games and all of the good bells and whistles that you would expect from a full remake of a classic game. But as for right now, it seems Warcraft 3 was not the game players expected it to be, and that's unfortunate because, hey, you always hope for the best, even though you might not be a fan of the game. But that rounds out today's episode of the Jam Pack Report. If you enjoyed this one, be sure to drop me a like down below and let me know what you think about the news we covered today. Of course, specifically, I would love to hear about hear about your thoughts, excuse me, on the PlayStation 5, its price point. On top of that, Dan Hauser leaving Rockstar. How does that make you feel? Pretend like I'm your therapist in the comment section down below. But until tomorrow, you guys have a phenomenal rest of your day. I'll talk to you soon and peace.